Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. Uh, good morning. This is Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. So uh, just privileged and overjoyed to be with you this morning in the midst of whatever you're doing. All right. So uh, blessings on you, you know, as you're brushing your teeth or driving to work or getting kids ready for a day of summer camp or maybe you are gardening today. Lots of folks uh, listening in places that are, you know, frankly, just super hot, like steamy pressure cookers. So um, coming from a person who's lived in lots of hot places uh, every once in a while, just, you know, wet down a towel and put it around your neck or over your head. Get out of the sun, find the shade, all kinds of good things like that. It's a good day to go to the movies or the mall. Their air conditioning generally is running and then yours won't have to. There you go. Um, Okay, I have a couple of headlines to cover here, and then uh, we are going to have an extended conversation about autonomy and authority. So just prepare yourself for that. Um, The EU Parliament has elevated abortion to the status of a human right. And I want to talk about abortion today, but I want to talk about it at kind of a what I would describe as a high level. Like we need to have a conversation about humanity being human what it means to be human, who is a human being, how we um, determine that, decide that, agree upon that as a people, and what are the influences that enter into that conversation. So how do you decide that a person is a person? And you're saying to yourself, that's not really my decision to make. Like a person is a person because God created them. I mean, God knit them together in their mother's womb. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that full well. Well, we know that full well because we are people who have not only received the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the, I'm going to use the word here, authoritative word of God, but we have integrated those truths into our understanding. We have adopted the mind of Christ on these matters. Other people have not adopted the mind of Christ on these matters. They have rejected what the Bible says about who is a human being and how that status is arrived at. And so this is a conversation about very different, drastically different, diametrically opposed worldviews that are both operating in the culture today. And if we don't understand that we are operating out of a worldview that's based on receiving the Bible as the inspired authoritative word of God, and that others reject that, then we will never understand the conversations of the day, and we will have a very hard time entering into them in ways that are, that are persuasive. 
So there is a new AP NORC poll that reveals that actually most Americans do not support abortion past the first trimester. That should be um, a really significant major news headline today. Of course, it won't be. That, that is not a headline that aligns with what most people in the media want you to be hearing today. And so this APNORC poll is probably not going to get a whole lot of press. But a solid majority of Americans believe that um, although abortion should be legal in the first three months of a woman's pregnancy, most Americans also say that those procedures should be illegal following the first trimester. Okay, that should be headline news today, because in a democracy, in a in a nation where there is majority rule, that should influence the conversation. And this poll comes out just, you know, just weeks after the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear a case involving um, what we would describe as the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which created the right to an abortion. So I think this is a significant um, piece of research information. This Associated Press um, Center for Public Affairs research poll, which finds that 61% of Americans say that abortion should continue to be legal um, in the first trimester of pregnancy. But 65% say it should be usually illegal beyond the first trimester. 80% believe it should it should be absolutely banned in the third trimester. So it's a significant poll. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment about abortion and that it really comes down to a conversation about who is a who or what is a human being and who decides that. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So there is an opinion writer at the Washington Post whose name is Ruth Marcus. Um, She's actually the deputy editorial page editor um, for the Washington Post. She has uh, a Yale degree as well as a degree from Harvard Law School. Um, And she writes a weekly column for the Washington Post. Why am I telling you about Ruth Marcus? Because I'm going to actually be engaging in a conversation with Ruth Marcus via a piece that she has um, from June the 4th in the Washington Post. So we're talking with her without actually having her on air. And so I want to I want to recognize that I'm going to try to have a conversation with what she has written. So just know that that's um, what's happening uh, here during this segment. So there exists this huge chasm between Americans who see the person who is conceived in the womb but not yet born, as morally inconsequential, not as a moral reality, not as a person. And then there are those of us who see the person conceived in the womb as already fully human and therefore of immense moral importance, deserving protection, um, you know, at least by the U.S. Constitution. 
So Ruth Marcus in this piece in the Washington Post says the time of compromise is over. We're now looking at two absolutist arguments. I think she's right. I think she's right. We are looking at two absolutist arguments. Either the fetus is a human being or it is not. Now, that is a different conversation than the conversation that was taking place when the Supreme Court decided uh, in the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. And so because we are now having a very robust absolutist argument in the United States of America over whether or not a person conceived is a person, um, it changes the conversation. And it means that we have to be equipped to have a conversation that is different than we were equipped to have in 1973. So. It's important to recognize, and Ruth Marcus actually um, acknowledges this. She says, we are no longer looking at the Constitution in terms of the words and the sentences and the paragraphs. And she says that because nobody can make the case that there is anything, anything in the U.S. Constitution like a guaranteed right to an abortion. I mean, it's just not in there. I mean, hunt as you will. It's not in there. But Ruth Marcus believes, and others of her absolutist side of the equation, Ruth Marcus believes there is a constitutional right for a woman to have an abortion based on the authority of the court and the autonomy of the individual. So that gets us down to the role of the court, which is ultimately up to us to decide what is the role of the court in the culture, and this conversation about autonomy and authority. So, um, You'd have to read her full piece to get into the question of whether or not the court is the place where this should be working itself out. Um, But the conversation about that is important. We're just not going to dig around too much in that this morning. What we are going to talk about is the conversation that she surfaces um, when she acknowledges and recognizes that ultimately this comes down to a debate between the autonomy of the individual and some other external authority. And that some other external authority for you and I might be the Lord our God. Um, For non-believing Americans, that authority might be um, majority rule. It might be the Constitution of the United States. But there is an operating authority outside of the self. That's actually the conversation this comes down to. Because if we agree with Ruth Marcus that the issue is one of human autonomy, She says that the right of abortion flows logically from the understanding that women have the right to control their own bodies. So we're going to talk about autonomy. We're going to unpack it a little bit. And then I'm I'm going to make the argument that you can't live in a society and imagine that everyone is fully autonomous. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. All right, let's continue this conversation about autonomy, and I would argue its limits for those of us who want to, you know, live with other people in community, in a society, in a, what constitutes a culture or a nation. The big question, I think, before us is, is Ruth Marcus right? Does a woman have total autonomy 
over her body? And does the Constitution of the United States guarantee that? Um, and so she states this as as if it's this really obvious fact. Total autonomy is the basis of her claim that abortion um, must be legal in an absolutely unfettered way. Um, it's the basis of her claim. She assumes that autonomy is an obvious fact to all of us and then that we, the people, should reframe our understanding of the Constitution to conform to that idea. So um, I think the big question here is, is she right? Do human beings possess unlimited total personal autonomy? I mean, certainly we make choices, thousands of them every day, maybe millions of them every day, most of them probably completely unconscious, like on automatic pilot. We are also responsible for the choices that we make. We bear a moral responsibility for those choices. We are therefore autonomous in that sense. But what about this totalizing claim that the author's making? Are we fully autonomous? Is there um, not a higher governing reality in life? So autonomy is a term you might imagine, uh, this won't surprise you, comes from the Greek auto and nomos. So auto means self, nomos means law. Autonomous or autonomy then is a law to oneself. A law to oneself. How, how could an individual claim total individual sovereign autonomy in the context of a constitutionally governed people? Just ask yourself that question for a moment. Because I'm subordinate to the Constitution. So therefore, I am not fully autonomous. Um, so, I mean, I think her argument falls apart right there. But let's dig in a little bit. Living in community of any kind limits autonomy. Because living in community limits the choices available to us. Certainly entering into marriage limits our autonomy. It limits the choices available to us. Having a child then limits the choices available to us. Buying a house limits the choices uh, available to us of where we lay our head at night. Um, choosing a college then limits the choices available to us in terms of the relationships and allegiances and fellowship and future networks we're going to have. Like every choice you make then limits the range of choices beyond that. So if you want something that's not available where you are at the moment, you're not actually fully autonomous to choose that thing because it's not available. I mean, I recognize Burger King says have it your way, but if you walk in there and you order filet mignon, you're not getting it. Even though in your fully autonomous desire, that's what you want in that moment from that vendor, they don't have that to sell. That is not a choice available to you. But in America today, those limits are pushed to places that prior generations would have never imagined. It's not just a conversation about whether or not you can order a particular food item from a particular place or vendor. It is the question of whether or not men are men and women are women and that those are set categories and that marriage is has a set definition. Um, I mean, it. The conversations that we have in the culture today, um, the choices available to us, let's talk about the range of um, technologies available 
to people who want to have a baby who cannot do so naturally. And this is, I'm not here just talking about two men who want to have a baby, like, right, technology definitely has to be involved there. I'm talking about a man and a woman who are married who who cannot naturally conceive a child. There are lots of technologies available to them. Are they are are they all ethical? That's a good conversation for us to have as Christians. How how big and broad and wide is my willingness to submit to the sovereignty of God in every part of life? These are they're hard conversations. I realize that, but they're conversations that we have to have. The modern age has exploded the claim of autonomy. Part of the modern age is this claim of the virtually sovereign self, um, as if people are a law unto themselves. It's called expressive individualism. We have talked about it on several occasions, and it has transformed our culture. So the biblical worldview puts what I would describe as pretty severe boundaries around human autonomy. But frankly, every society, every culture does so as well. Like every society adopts laws that put limits on the individual. And you have to operate within those consensually adopted laws. Now, in America, we like to imagine that we can basically define ourselves. We can make ourselves, transform ourselves, reinvent ourselves. Um, But there are limits to that. There are limits to that. Um. All right, let's get back to specifically the article from Ruth Marcus, as if she's right here having a conversation with us. Um, She provoked this conversation about autonomy in an article about abortion. Here's her claim. Her claim is there is an absolute right to an abortion. She says the decision whether to terminate a pregnancy shouldn't be a matter of majority rule. That's the most intimate of personal choices, leaving abortion regulation entirely up to the states, which she argues should not be the case. Um, and she knows what that she, she knows she means here, the reversal of Roe, right? She doesn't even want us to consider that, but that is what's going on. And based on, you know, current polling, not everybody in America thinks that abortion should be available up to the very point of birth for any reason or no reason at all to every woman who is pregnant. Like, we don't agree on that. And we are still a representative democracy. We are still a culture where, in terms of our laws, there's a majority rule. So what Ruth Marcus wants is absolute abortion on demand, right up to the point of the moment of birth, no questions asked and no restrictions. She wants total victory. I mean, she says as much. She says, quote, there is simply no give on the side of those who believe life begins at conception and that abortion, therefore, is tantamount to murder. If there were a moment before Roe that the country could have come together state by state to hash out reasonable abortion restrictions, well, that time is long past. The issue is now too divisive. The anti-abortion force is too activated to settle for half measures if total victory is achievable. Well, the question of total victory is, um, is desired on both sides of the conversation. And so I wonder if she recognizes just how authoritative and authoritarian her statement is. And I wonder if all the women in the United States who disagree with her would have the autonomy to express as much in Ruth Marcus's world. So let's equip ourselves to have that kind of conversation today about autonomy and its limits, because our autonomy is limited in all kinds of spaces and ways today. But it's a huge part of the abortion debate. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got to take a break for Breakpoint. 
All right, we're going to have a conversation now about our bodies and the biblical worldview. So Sam Albury has joined us on prior occasions. Um, He has a new book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves. We're going to really um, enter into a conversation about the reality that we don't just have a body, we are a body. And Although our body is not everything, our body is also not nothing. Sam Albury, up next. This is Max Lacato. The reason God loves you is that he has chosen to love you. Others may abandon you, divorce you, and ignore you, but God will love you. These are his words. I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and I'll make them beloved. Romans 9.25 Let this love happen in your life and prepare yourself for a new day. As God has his way with you, he will not let you live with your old hatred and prejudices. You'll begin to see people in a different way. The neighbor down the street, He's not a person who forgets to mow his lawn. He's made in the image of God. God loves a diverse creation, and God's love finds beauty in the collage of humanity. Life will become less a chore and more a stroll through God's art gallery. This is Max Lakeva, and this is How Happiness Happens. Sam Alberry is one of my favorites. He's a pastor. He's an apologist. He's an author. Um, we've had him on several occasions to talk about a number of his other books and things he's thinking about and experiences in life. Today, we're going to talk about his new book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves. Sam, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I am tempted to ask about um, your second binge watching of Ted Lasso, I will put that (laughs) off for another time in conversation just so that everybody knows Sam thinks it's the number one show from 2020. So if you follow him on Twitter, these are the little tidbits you can discover. All right, Sam, um, I have a body. Is it more than that? Do I just have a body? What's going on? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you do. That's a good start in life. Um, you you have a body, you and you are a body. Um, both of those things are, are true. And I think our, our culture tends to think a body is simply this physical appendage to our true selves. But in, in the Bible, the body is part of who we truly are. So I'm hoping we can recover a more positive, theologically rich view of our, our physical bodies. So you start this conversation um about the body, really, you know, acknowledging the Genesis 2 reality. Um, I I bet, Sam, that there are all kinds of opportunities to springboard from this conversation to current conversations in the culture, let's say, about even like transhumanism, that I would be able one day to transcend the physical limits of the body and somehow my myself, separate from my body, would live on even if only in some digital form here on Earth— there are really important theological conversations to have in relationship to the body. And there's some very practical conversations to have um, because some people put too much emphasis on the body and others too little. 
That's right. Yes, there are those who who kind of define themselves by their bodies. That's that's not right either. We, we're told that God looks looks at the heart. He we, man is the one who just looks on the flesh. God looks through the flesh and sees the heart underneath. So I think we have twin twin dangers in our kind of Western world at the moment. One is to to demean the body and to say it's merely incidental, and the other is to sort of say that actually my body fully communicates who I am, and that's a sort of sum total of who I am. And that the Bible gives us a much healthier view. It shows us that we're more than our bodies, um, but we're also not less than them or other than them. So the idea that some sense of self can be kind of steamed off from your body and retained, you know, without a body is is something the Bible would, would not encourage us to think about. Um, we tend to think my true self is is my inner being, who I feel myself to be, and it's just being parked in a random body. But in the Bible, God creates Adam by forming matter and then animating it. He doesn't create a soul called Adam and then look for something to put him in. So we can't divorce our sense of self from our physicality. Yeah, the Valley of Dry Bones maybe is another biblical example of that, right? The bones are, re, you know, they become bodies again before they are animated um, again. I'm just thinking that, like, you know, where yeah. where would there be these other examples in Scripture um, that point to what you're talking about? Certainly, the um, the incarnation, the physical embodiment of Jesus, um, and then his physical death, and then his physical resurrection, and his physical ascension, and the promise of his physical return, all of this physical reality related to who Jesus is certainly informs this conversation as well. Absolutely. And one of the things I say in the book is there's, there's no greater compliment than you can than you can pay the physical body by the fact that Jesus became physically human. And that wasn't a phase. It wasn't a, a gimmick or a stunt. Um, Jesus was resurrected with the human body and he ascended with the human body and he still has a human body. So there is now human flesh and blood sat at the right hand of the Father on high. So our, our human physical nature is is not something to be sneered at. And, you know, Jesus' resurrection life was was bodily. We know that our resurrection life will be bodily also. Our future eternity will be physical. So there's a lot of areas, I think, where we've overlooked the significance of our physicality and where the gospel keeps putting it front and center with, with glorious news for us. So Sam Alberry's um, new book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, um, you've, you introduced this to us. You offer this in three parts, created bodies, broken bodies, redeemed bodies. Can you just walk through that flow, and then after the break, we'll unpack it a little more? Sure. So created bodies is, is really unpacking what it means for, for us to have been purposefully made by God, fearfully and wonderfully made, as David says in, in Psalm 139. And how we're therefore we're not we're not accidents, um, as so many people sadly believe today, um, and that includes our our biological gender, um, our God having made us male and female. That is not um, something many people recognise today in the same way. But again, the Bible affirms our gender as being something that's biologically grounded and not merely something we we feel or perceive within ourselves. Uh, broken bodies, the second part is looking at the different ways our bodies are affected by the fall, um, the various afflictions that we experience, um, everything from 
illness and sickness to to shame and sin that our bodies have been sinned against and used to sin against others. And obviously the the, the wages of sin is is physical death. So thinking about again how death is the the final confirmation of that that fallenness of our physicality. And then thinking in redeemed bodies about how Jesus, through his own becoming flesh and death and resurrection, has we're told he's he's bought us, our bodies now belong to him. And how actually how liberating that is for us to know, even in the present, because it means Jesus is the master of my body. He is the one my body needs to please. It doesn't need to to please Madison Avenue fashion houses. It doesn't have to please Hollywood's image of what a human being should look like. It has to please my saviour. And the body that is pleasing to my saviour is the one that is is consecrated to him and given to his service. And then obviously Paul talks about the future redemption of our bodies as well. So thinking about what it means to look forward to a resurrection body in the age to come. I'm talking with Sam Albury. You can um, you can find him at his website, Sam, and then it's like all the berries, samallberry.com. <laughs> we are talking about his brand new book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. We're going to take a very brief break, and then we'll be right back. We make a miracle walk, a promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Continue my conversation with Sam Alberry. Um, all right, Sam, listeners want to know, does Sam have a favorite berry or does he love all the berries equally? I should love all the berries equally, but I, I probably prefer strawberries to anything else, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. Good to know. To Good to know. In people. season. In season right now. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, Okay, so continuing our conversation about what God has to say about our bodies, um, you you make this statement in the book, and I thought I'd just like for you to unpack it. What we do with our bodies matters, and what we don't do with our bodies matters. Yep, so the the great thing is that our bodies, our bodies have significance to our discipleship. God is not just interested in some so-called spiritual part of us. He's interested in every aspect of us, which means the use of our bodies and the misuse of our bodies all has spiritual significance. So what we do with our bodies matters because God created our bodies. He He cares about our physical selves. And what we don't do with them matters as well. And, it, it you know, there are times in discipleship where, it, it's important to say no to certain things. It's, there are times when it's important to say yes to certain things. But so much of our discipleship in the Bible is spoken of in kind of bodily categories, um, offering the parts of our bodies to God to be used as instruments of righteousness in Romans 6 or offering our, our, our bodies as a living sacrifice in, in Romans 12. So we mustn't think that the kind of physical aspect of life is is somehow spiritually irrelevant all of it actually is is wonderfully significant. So, Sam, I have a um, precious stepson who's almost sixteen now, and he was he was born um, with a genetic uh, disorder called Apert's syndrome, and so his head and his hands and his feet um, do not look like our heads and our hands and our feet. Um, and yet, you know, he learned very early on to um, talk about himself as a person, you know, made by God. God, you know, 
did, God made me. Um, when kids, when other kids would ask, like, what's wrong with your hands or, you know, why do you look like that? You know, Matthew would say, well, God made me this way. And mm-hmm. it then led to this sort of ongoing conversational challenge. Um, because if God made me this way, and yet this isn't, this does not align with what we consider normal in our culture. Um, people think there's something wrong with it. Um, and in my glorified body, are these things going to persist? And so, you know, as he reaches the place where developmentally we can talk with him about the the consequences of the fall of man and how that has worked itself out um, in terms of um, things that happen to us genetically, generation to generation. I mean, we talk about how far we live from Eden in terms of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you just help me with that a little bit? Like when Matthew says, like, when I go to heaven, is this what my body's going to look like? Like, that's a hard question to answer. It is. And and firstly, I'm, I rejoice that he can say and know that he has been made by his creator. Um David said, you know, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David didn't say that before Genesis 3. David said that after Genesis 3. Uh, We don't know much about David's physical body, but we know it won't have been perfect. Um, It was fallen flesh and blood, as is the case with the rest of us. And yet even our imperfect fallen bodies have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He's not been asleep at the switch. So I hope that's a comfort for all of us as we cope with various sometimes physical challenges, whatever it might be. Um, In the age to come, we know we will have resurrected bodies. We know that there will be some areas of continuity between the body we have now and the body we have then. It will be recognizably us. We also know we will be glorified um, in that resurrection body. So there will be some difference as well and some ways in which present imperfections will be made perfect. And there's there's mystery to know exactly what that will look like in, in the case of given physical conditions. Um, but the, the transformation will be there for all of us. So it won't be the case that your, your precious stepson will be markedly different in the new creation in a way that none of the rest of us will be. All of us will be transformed. All of us will have glorious bodies, which doesn't necessarily mean we're all look like a supermodel. We'll have glorious bodies because we will have bodies that will be perfectly able to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then we don't need to be excited about the new creation because we're thinking, oh, great, that's the chance I'll have to have a flat stomach or whatever it is society tells me I should be bothered about. We should be thinking, whatever my body looks like then, it will be the perfect vehicle for serving Jesus and praising him. So in one sense, I, I don't know the exact answer to your your, your son's question. Um, but on the other hand, I, I kind of feel like, well, I, I don't need to know the specifics. I just need to know that my physical body will be akin to Jesus' glorious body, Philippians 3, and perfectly suited to worshipping and glorifying him, in which case I don't mind what's changed and what hasn't changed, provided it's a it's a body that will glorify him. I love that. Um, Our glorious body will be a body perfectly suited to glorify God. Um, That is, that's such helpful language, and that is, that's such a righteous thought. Um, And so thank you for 
thank you for those words. Um, well, it means for we, all of us, our, our best physical days are ahead of us. Yeah, Whatever amen. age and stage we're at now, that the best is still to come. Amen. And I think that's a wonderful conversation. I, I love chapter 10, to be like his glorious body, the body and the resurrection to come. Like, it's, it's an excellent chapter in the book. Um, and I I feel like there's so much there um, for me to have conversations with, let's say, my very aging parents who are now 83 and 87. Um, and things hurt like they didn't hurt before and things don't work like they worked before. And, you know, and and death is more real like it's coming like there's not you get to the place in life where you know that the time is coming um and to be able to have conversations about still being recognizable but glorified and um and recognizing that the best is yet to come it's not behind them it's ahead of them like these are really good rich conversations for us to have uh with one another today we need them. Um, and the, the trouble is, I think, in much of the Christian world, we've we've neglected or forgotten this idea that we will be physically resurrected and we sort of assume eternity will be spent floating around like ghosts or something. And so particularly for the for the infirm or for those with chronic health conditions, that resurrection hope really does matter. And we, we neglect it at our peril. So it means that we don't need to see aging as the threat that our culture is is always saying it is. It's not the sign of game over. Um, it is merely the closing out of this phase before we enter an even better one in the age to come. Amen. Sam, um, what a blessing, as always, to reconnect with you and get to talk. Uh, you guys can visit with Sam online, samalberry.com. His new book that we're discussing today, what God has to say about our bodies. Um, just an excellent, an excellent conversation, um, you know, how the gospel is good news for our physical selves. Sam, as always, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, and off to some strawberries. Absolutely. Now you've whetted my appetite. All right, <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome to the first. Thank you for all of your um, engagement today, particularly on the text line. Uh, just remember, you can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Thank you for your um, engagement with us at MyFaithRadio.com. For those of you who missed the live stream event that we held on Sunday evening, where um, I addressed listener questions, some of them at pretty great length, um, you can go and you can watch that on Faith Radio's YouTube channel, um, or you can watch it on Faith Radio's Facebook channel. You can also still find it at MyFaithRadio.com. So great, uh, great resource for you if you want to, well, hear what uh, other listeners are asking and wondering about and how we are equipping each other to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves, to address the cultural issues of the day in ways that honor Jesus, to prepare for conversations with loved ones who are non-believers this week as we gather together. Um, lots, of, um, lots of opportunities for us to talk with one another, encourage one another, 
build one another up as we each engage in the conversations of this day. All right, stay cool out there today. We are in the midst of an unprecedented heat wave in the U.S. Northwest. Um, I recognize that. It is probably hot where you are. So uh, find a way to stay cool and find ways to um, to serve others who don't have maybe the resources to keep themselves uh, cool today. Like check in on your neighbors today who might not have air conditioning and, you know, those kinds of things. All right, this is sort of the practical responsibility of being neighbors today in the world that God so loves. Hey, I look forward to gathering with you right back here tomorrow. Check out what's going on at MyFaithRadio.com in the meantime. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.